Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Rejuvenation's Health Radio on blogtalkradio.com. The show is brought to you by LipoLite Naples and your hosts are Dr. Ron and Dr. Ron. We are your station for everything natural. We are your station for information about slimming, shaping, and toning. We not only want you to live longer, we want you to have more life in those years. So without further ado, let's get on with today's show. Good afternoon, everyone, on this 5th of April, 2016, and congratulations to all those Villanova fans out there. Uh, what a great, great win for that uh, university. I'm very proud of them and very happy they won. Ladies and gentlemen, today's show is uh, going to be really fantastic. I see Dr. Smith is calling in. It's just a pleasure to have him on uh, weekly. He has such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, today at 4.30, we'll have Dr. Stephen Pascucci, and we'll talk about eye disease and, in particular, the age-related eye condition of macular degeneration. This show is brought to you by LipoLite Naples and Naples Cryo Spa, located at 1575 Pine Ridge Road, Suite Number 6 in Naples, Florida. The phone number there is 331-5886. That's area code 239-331-5886. Let me just say that Dr. Ron is a chiropractor and a chiropractic neurologist. Uh, he has the only open nitrogen chamber in Southwest Florida. 100% uh, of the time you are being monitored by a live person. Uh, the results have been just spectacular to say the least. So if you have time, you have a computer, you may go to cryonaples.com. Ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you so much for making this station, Rejuvenations Health Radio, on time with Dr. Ron, the number one health internet radio station in Southwest Florida. Again, thanks to Villanova. And uh, in 1985, uh, our daughter was attending Georgetown University in Washington, and uh, Raleigh Massimino was coaching uh, Villanova, and John Thompson was coaching Georgetown. Uh, my cousins were at Villanova. My daughter, as I said, was at Georgetown. I sort of went with Georgetown uh, because of Maria, but, you know, I had to wear a Villanova cap for a year because Raleigh Massimino and Villanova did it again that year. So, again, congratulations to them. I just want to... Uh, clear up a couple things. Uh, there's a, a newspaper called Forbes, uh, which uh, had an uh, article relating to uh, cholesterol and statin drugs. And I did write a rebuttal to that article and it was published. And the basic rebuttal was, again, it was the study was funded by the pharmaceutical companies. They used uh, relative risk versus absolute risk to come up with some uh, fantastic uh, numbers that make it look like statins work. But again, if you really go through the numbers, statins drugs, statin drugs still fail 99% of the time. 99% of the time, statin drugs do fail. So last week, ladies and gentlemen, along with Dr. Jerry Smith, we were discussing a thyroid conditions, specifically hypothyroidism. 
And we talked about basal body temperature and other blood studies that you could do and have done by your physician to make the diagnosis of an underactive thyroid. Today, uh, along with uh, Dr. Smith, that, that is you on the line, is it not, Jerry? Dr. Jerry Smith of Langhorne, Pennsylvania, and he'll introduce himself in a second. We'll talk about uh, both medically and supplements that uh, you might want to consider and talk to your healthcare professional regarding the treatment of this condition. So it is definitely uh, a condition that is underdiagnosed, probably the cause of lots of the heart disease we're seeing and lots of the high cholesterol values we are seeing uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and we did discuss these. And one of, the, one of the reasons is, and I think Dr. Smith will agree, we, we, you know, is the iodine that's needed for your thyroid gland. In Japan, the daily dose of iodine obtained from the diet averages around two to 3,000 micrograms. That's two to three milligrams. And there's reason to believe that this is far more adequate amount than in the U.S. where our recommended daily allowance is only 150 micrograms. So Dr. David Brownstein, he argues for even higher amounts. And he wrote a book called Iodine, Why You Need It, Why You Can't Live Without It. He recommends actually 12.5 milligrams per day on a daily basis. So I'm going to ask Dr. Smith if he has any uh, comments as we start off today's show on the treatment of underactive thyroid on iodine. Well, yeah, there's many components to the treatment. Uh, the diet, of course, is important. In Japan, um, they had the lowest cancer rate of any country in the world. They also had the highest consumption of iodine of any country in the world. Um, the It's a multifactorial organ, so it requires not only iodine, but there's also very high nutritional content for manganese, selenium, B vitamins, uh, essential fatty acids, uh, micro-minerals, and um, the... Uh, Unfortunate thing is that most healthcare practitioners don't uh, visualize when they're uh, assessing the, the thyroid problem is that the lymphatic system that drains the mouth takes the toxins from mercury leaking fillings, from residual infections in jaw bones or under teeth, from periodontal disease, from third molar extraction sites that have what they call cavitations or residual infections in the jawbone. And all these poisons are basically being drained down through the lymphatics, down through the thyroid gland. And this is one of the biggest hitting, uh, hidden nemesis uh, in healthcare, and it's not being addressed. Well, that is really true. And, and uh you know, we're going to get to even inflammation that like you talked about last week, how it's important that we uh, address the inflammatory component to an underactive thyroid. So, number one, let's start out with just iodine. And what are good sources of iodine, ladies and gentlemen? It's sea vegetables such as kelp and algae, seafood such as shrimp, sardines, Alaskan salmon, and number three, seaweed called bladder rack. Uh, you can get it in a powder form or in capsules. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, do not be confused by Atlantic salmon. Okay, Atlantic is a word that is copyrighted. Atlantic salmon is grown in these cesspool of farms that they call tanks that raise salmon. So don't be 
fooled into thinking Atlantic salmon is all natural. All right, so Dr. Smith also also mentioned some other uh, supplements, and we'll get to them. But let's jump right to the big kahuna, and that's the thyroid hormone itself. And most people, uh, I will include myself, and we'll see what Dr. Smith says, I have always recommended a, the natural bioidentical thyroid hormones, which include names like Nature Throid, West Throid, not so much Armour Thyroid. They had, they had some uh, quality control problems there. They're made from desiccated pig thyroid glands and contain the full spectrum of thyroid hormones. In other words, they contain T1, T2, T3, and T4. We don't know a lot about T1 and T2, but they've got to be there for a reason. There was a, one, there was a time when we only had vitamin B1. Now we're up to at least B17. So the full spectrum of thyroid hormones is, is what I have been recommending, and that's something you should talk to your healthcare professional about. Synthetic hormones include levothyroid, like levothyroxine, but they only contain T4. Now, believe it or not, they do have a place in the treatment, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but let's get Dr. Smith's uh, take on bioidentical thyroid hormone replacement. So, Dr. Smith, do you, have you recommended Naturethroid or Westroid? Oh, absolutely. In, in um, comparison the, to the synthetics? Definitely. Uh, the synthetics are basically T4. And if you're deficient in testosterone, for example, you're not going to convert the T4 to T3. Um, you know, there's just so many variable factors uh, exactly. that are essential. And and the every, other, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. The other thing I was saying that we we're converting a lot of the bioidentical hormones actually into a homeopathic form now, and it finds that um, it, it's so much more effective. You know, a perfect example was my my aunt who just had an 86th birthday uh, a week ago Thursday. Uh, basically, had to be rushed to the hospital twice to drain severe amounts of fluid out of her lungs, and it was coming from a weak thyroid. And, you know, it's hard to raise relatives, but she never listened to me. So the the bottom line is I made a homeopathic of the nature throid, and the uh, caring nurse who was there 24-7 would just give her nine drops under her tongue first thing in the morning. The cardiologist cannot believe the difference in her now. She has absolutely no more fluid in her lung. She gets out of bed by herself. She, she'll make phone calls now. She's, get, she's starting to get her life back. Oh, that's great. And, and you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you've heard Dr. Smith and myself both mention Dr. Broda Barnes. And, and from Chapter 17 of his book, he says, there is nothing difficult about correcting thyroid deficiency. It can be done effectively, inexpensively, and safely. And, and that is so true. But uh, the physicians today either don't take the time or are unaware of the basal body temperature diagnosis and uh, basically how to use a natural product. Uh, so it is not that hard. Most physicians can do it, or if you, uh, you know, and you can do it uh, homeopathically. Uh, so the benefits from treatment of an underactive thyroid, however, you must know don't take effect immediately. Well, maybe in homeopathic doses they do. I don't have a lot of experience. But with the bioidentical hormones, uh, it's not an overnight change. And you may not see a change for a month. 
And it's only after a month or two that you ha- can start titrating the doses upward if the temperature does not rise. And an interesting point about temperature is that if you have symptoms of uh, anxiety and a rapid heartbeat, but your temperature is still low, there's another reason for that rapid heartbeat. It's probably not the thyroid dosage. You've got to keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen. So you have two, you have three choices, really. You have the bioidentical hormone in its form of nature, thyroid or westroid. You have the uh, synthetic form, which is just T4, and sometimes that has to be supplemented with T3. And you have the homeopathic uh, uh, doses that Dr. Smith can perform, do, uh, make in his office. But what happens if everything is right, but you're still not getting well? Well, then that's when you have to be aware that you could have elevated or reverse T3. And this goes back to something we talked about last week because high levels of reverse T3 is not a sign of thyroid deficiency, but it is a sign of high stress and or potential heavy metal toxicity. And you may have to address those two issues in order for your thyroid to return to good health. And there again, the cyber scan, the hair analysis, uh, good good methods to see if you are uh, if you have a metal toxicity, and also chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation being probably the uh, basis of most chronic diseases. If you uh, are not responding. It could be chronic inflammation because it could be interfering with your thyroid receptors. It could make them dull. And the amount of thyroid hormone required in order for your body to recognize and use increases when there's a lot of inflammation. Or you may have poor thyroid hormone conversion. In other words, your body converts inactive T4 to active T3 form. And a number of factors can impair your body's ability to perform this conversion including nutritional deficiencies. And we'll talk more about this. Dr. Smith has already alluded to this earlier. If your conversion rate is impaired, what happens? Your doses has to go up. And lastly but not leastly, this autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's, it's when your own body attacks your thyroid. As a general rule, signs of Hashimoto's include a TSH above 4.25 and a thyroid peroxidase antibody above 30. So if you have this, in my opinion, and those of uh, the articles I've read, you just cannot use the bioidentical hormone because your body will destroy it. In that case, you will have to consider uh, for a time the synthetic T4 called levothyroxine. And one other thing, gluten, ladies and gentlemen, looks very similar to the thyroid hormone, and and, uh, that's why those with Hashimoto disease are typically required to go on a gluten-free diet, and that will help them with their autoimmune response. So some synthetic thyroid medications can contain gluten. So it's important to make sure your medication is gluten-free in addition to cutting gluten out of your diet. Uh, and lastly but not leastly, iodine, selenium, iron, and or cortisol deficiency will impair your treatment. 
Without sufficient amounts of these nutrients, the thyroid metabolism and conversion cannot occur. Selenium deficiency is particularly common in those with GI disorders. So I think uh, that pretty much sums it up, except for a couple other supplements. But we'll, 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 let me go on to this, and I'll let Dr. Smith co- comment on it. I think it's really important for thyroid synthesis and metabolism to have a correct dose of selenium. I'm thinking 1 to 200 micrograms of selenium in supplement form per day. In addition to selenium, zinc plays a terrific role. In the conversion of T4 to T3, you can have all the T4, but if you're not converting it to T3, you don't get the effect. So I'm thinking uh, opting for a zinc supplement about 30 milligrams a day. And lastly but not leastly, tyrosine, T-Y-R-O-S-I-N-E, is a nutrient involved in thyroid hormone production and conversion. What's the best way to get tyrosine? An amino acid. Uh, aim for about that. 10 to 35% of your calories from protein each day. We won't forget about vitamin D. That's really important in thyroid health and probiotics. So, Dr. S., what do you what do you think about that? All right, I think did we lose Dr. Smith? No, I'm still here. Okay, sorry. All right, so I, I mentioned things that you started off the show with, uh, selenium, uh, zinc, uh, tyrosine, adequate amounts of vitamin D, and a good probiotic. In order to, in addition to iodine, in order to have your thyroid gland functioning optimally. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we could talk about overactive thyroid, but that doesn't uh, affect as many people, and that's a subject for a, a, a different program. Uh, so, you know, Entire books have been written on the uh, ins and outs of thyroid health and dysfunction. And so we just tried to give you a summary that you can uh, do further research and talk to your healthcare professional about. Uh, you, I personally would suggest a comprehensive thyroid panel, especially to rule out uh, Hashimoto's disease, as that could interfere majorly with your treatment. Uh, so if you have Hashimoto's, you also have to have strategies that we apply to a lot of other autoimmune diseases, and that's why it's important to optimize your vitamin D and gut health because that will help address inflammation. And uh, we talked about some some resistant cases. Dr. Well, you know, Smith. it's interesting, uh, Ron. A lot of these so-called autoimmune diseases are actually uh, situations where there's viruses or pesticides or vaccines trapped in the actual organ, causing it to go haywire, whether it be hypo or hyper. And uh, I think the, the illustration was my own daughter who was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, and the endocrinologist wanted to put her on tapazole to suppress its function. And when I did my diagnosis, she had Epstein-Barr virus in her thyroid since high school. And it just got reactivated because she had given birth and the bottom line is when your immune system gets weak, these viruses then, you know, come out of dormancy and create havoc. And when she told the endocrinologist that her father's going to treat it with alternatives, he says it doesn't work. Well, in three months, I got it working 100% normal. And uh, you'd think that the guy would have enough respect to call me up and, and ask what I did, but they don't want to know from the answers. 
No, uh, they they anything outside of uh, what they're taught in school uh, by the big pharmaceutical companies is is off the table. That's sorry to say. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit. We have some some time left. I want to talk about a little bit about sleep before Dr. Pascucci comes on. But uh, let's talk about uh, the cyber scan in particular. Uh, its use if a and a patient comes to you, uh, what do you just run the scan or do you look for a particular like do you look for do you have to, to tune it in for metals and pesticides and organic materials or not? Basically, in ten seconds, it takes an energetic scan off your palm, and it stores that in its uh, database. It has an extensive software which covers a multitude of, of different systems. So, for example, if you have someone that you suspect, let's say, may have heavy metal exposure from either too many mercury fillings or chemicals that they work uh, with you know, in their environment, you can run these specific software programs to cover you know, all these heavy metals or pesticides or vaccines, uh, structural imbalances, and then it basically compares your energy pattern from your palm with 122,000 known electromagnetic signatures in its database. And that's how it comes up with the primary stressors. Okay. And it filters them down to like 2 or 3%. So you're getting the main causes. And it's basically waking up your body. It's kind of like if you have a to-do list, but you keep it in your back pocket and you don't know what's on the list. You never get it done. But what the the instrument's doing is it wakes up uh, the body using scalar waves to then recognize those stressors so the body's own system can go after them. Now, do you use the scan to uh, lead you to uh, a treatment? And is that treatment uh, just, is it homeopathic or homeopathic and allopathic? Now, basically, what it does is it'll make the delineation of what the core problems are, whether it be heavy metals, energy imbalances in the acupuncture points or meridians. It could be nutritional deficiencies. So what it does is then at the end, when you do your evaluation and it filters the top two, three percent, it imprints 140 signals into a bottle of saline solution, sterile saline solution, which you then place under your tongue 15 drops three times a day for a two-week period. So in essence, you keep alerting the body via those saline drops that have impregnated the frequencies to wake up the body to go after those core problems. At the end of two weeks, you're, you go through an, a reevaluation, and it's like peeling an onion. So the ones that were you know, on the top may have been you know, dissolved away, and you start going after the other issues that are deeper. And the first three months focus in on heavy metals, toxicities, pathogens, you know, like candida or viruses or fungi, uh, bacteria. That, and then the th- second three months focuses in on regeneration of the body, stimulating stem cells, the chromosomes, repairing the chromosomes, stimulating uh, nutrients, uh, to then heal the body. 
Okay, so they they could either contact you or uh, contact a CyberScan practitioner. Is that true, or how does that work? Yeah, they're yeah, there's, they're becoming more frequent. I just sold eight units up in Toronto. Uh, in the last couple of weeks from my students in the course because they they see the value there's there's no blood test there's no conventional testing that can assess the patient so extensively in in such a short period of time and then offer alternatives as opposed to molecular medicine so you know most people are starting to wake up to homeopathy to nutrients to acupuncture and uh, this technology can do all this using scalar waves. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is a, another option uh, for us to, to use in our, in our quest for health uh, is the uh, scalar technology of the CyberScan. Um, what I would like to do, we're running a little bit short of time. I just want to just uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little synopsis about uh, sleeping at the end of the show, but I did uh, read about uh, the summary of a brain health conference that was just recently uh, held in Orlando, and brain health, it's stated, connects to the gut, the teeth, and the eyes. And that was the take takeaway message from the Neuroregeneration Conference that uh, was conducted by the Academy of Comprehensive Integrative Medicine uh, this past October. So the brain health, gut health, your teeth and your eyes are all connected. And a couple takeaway things that I just want to leave you with. What's the root cause of trouble? Well, uh, they said it was in the soil. They said since World War II, petroleum-based nitrogen-rich fertilizers have proliferated, and this has contributed to the depletion of soil bacteria in the farmland. Destruction of soil bacteria has led to damaged root systems in plants, which in turn has hurt the ability of plants to gather nutrients from the soil. So they gave an example of kale. The kale in stores today is not as nutritious as it was in 1940. And they said there is a link between A, the loss of soil bacteria, B, the loss of bacteria in plants, C, the loss of bacteria diversity in the gut microbiome, and four, increased gut gut vulnerability. In other words, that's the leaky gut syndrome, ladies and gentlemen. The latter connects to many health issues, including neurological conditions such as dementia and depression. And who has not read Dr. Perlmutter's book about the brain grain? He, he, he wrote this book a couple of years ago, Ahead of the Curve. So there were some other takeaway uh, 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 moments, and I'll just read a couple of them. It's very rare to find a patient nowadays who does not have a chronic infection somewhere in their body. And that was by Dr. Lee Cowden, C-O-W-D-E-N. He was the conference moderator. And dehydration is at least 50% of the aging process, according to Dr. Bush. He gave an interesting comment. He says, hydrate by drinking two ounces of water every 15 or 20 minutes all day, depending on your activity level, says if you're exercising every 10 minutes, drinking a quart of water at a time doesn't really hydrate you. It just goes right through you. That sort of made sense to me. 
and the genetically modified organisms that we're seeing, the GMOs, they are causing leaky gut and antibiotic resistance in everybody that ingests them. We're inundated with these foods. Like this, this, this topic kept coming up and up and up, and that this this topic did not even touch on gliophosphate, and that you could you could do five hours on gliophosphate. So, ladies and gentlemen, just just take a quick one minute time to hear Dr. Ron's commercial on cryo, and then we'll get on with the show and wait for Dr. Pastucci. This is Dr. Ron Repesey of Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Spa, your place to chill at 239-658-COOL. If you've not heard of whole body cryotherapy and suffer with back pain, joint pain, arthritis, fibromyalgia, or you're an athlete that wants quick recovery from sports injuries, then come chill with us at Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Sauna. Cryo Spa treatments take only three minutes and are supervised by physicians. Sessions are one-on-one in a private environment. Each treatment can also burn five to 800 calories. As seen on Dr. Oz, Cool Cryo Spa is truly amazing technology. Let's hear what Dr. Kurt Biggs, a well-respected orthopedic surgeon in Naples, has to say about Cool Cryotherapy. Hi, I'm Dr. Biggs of the Joint Replacement Institute. Since I started applying the Cool Cryo Sauna, my patients are healing much quicker and athletes are seeing quick recovery. I recommend this procedure for my surgical patients and athletes. Call Dr. Repesey now to schedule your Cool Cryo trial session, 239-658-COOL, 239-658-2665, located at 1575 Pine Ridge Road in the Noodles Italian Bistro Plaza. Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Spa. Come chill with us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, incredible results uh, from this uh, therapy. I'm going to see if uh, there's a call here that I think might be Dr. Pascucci. I'm going to uh, check this out, see if he's on the phone, and then we'll talk about this age-related diseases of the eye, one of which is macular degeneration. So just bear with me while I go to my studio board. Good afternoon, Dr. Pascucci. Yes, hi, how are you? I am doing fine. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, first half hour was on hypothyroidism, uh, along with Dr. Jerry Smith from uh, from Pennsylvania. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have Dr. Stephen Pascucci. Uh, ophthalmologist, well-known, well-respected here in Southwest Florida. And uh, I'm going to let Dr. Pascucci uh, just give you his credentials, where he trained, where he is now, if he has a website, and his office address and phone number. So, Dr. Steve, if you could do that for us, please. Sure. It would be my pleasure. First of all, thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to join you this afternoon. Um, I uh, actually moved to Southwest Florida approximately 11 years ago. Um, I started my career uh, in medical school in Philadelphia at Jefferson Medical College. Subsequently did my ophthalmology residency in Tampa at the University of South Florida and then did a fellowship in cornea at Georgetown University in Washington. Um, I was from Scranton, Pennsylvania, so it was a somewhat natural choice that I'd go back there and I joined a group. And I practiced in Scranton for 16 years. And after that period of time, uh, the weather got to be a little bit too much. And my wife, Bev, and I decided that we wanted to move to Southwest Florida. We had been coming down on and off for years. We were empty nesters, and so it, it made sense. And so I started my practice in Benita Springs. It's called Eye Consultants of Benita Springs. Our website is uh, Benita I, B-O-N-I-T-A-E-Y-E dot com. 
And uh, our phone number is 949-2021, and we're very happy to be here. I've been in practice here in Southwest Florida for 11 years, uh, and we've had a really wonderful time in that process. Uh, oh, thank you, Dr. Pescucci. And I, I think on the line, too, the, uh, is, a, is a fellow uh, a physician of mine. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make his microphone live in case he wants to speak. But I only have three live microphones right now, ladies and gentlemen, mine, Dr. Pescucci, and Dr. Dan. So, Dr. Pescucci, um, we thought today that we could talk a little bit about macular degeneration uh, because, uh, as you know better than all of us, there are a few things in life more precious than our eyesight. And unfortunately, it is not until something goes wrong that we feel our true appreciation. Uh, This is when we learn that most eye diseases are diagnosed as age-related. So uh, we're in Southwest Florida. They they say this where God puts us before we die, but I don't know about that. We're doing pretty good. But um, if if you would please, we, we our audience would really appreciate any information you can give us on this age related uh, diagnosis, the risk factors, the symptoms. Maybe if you could some treatment op- options and maybe some low vision services that you're you're uh, acquainted with. I mean, I know we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but if uh, something along those lines in the next uh, 20 minutes would be, be a great help to our listeners. Certainly. You know, I think the thing to start with, and it's important with everybody who has macular degeneration to know this, they're always worried, patients with macular degeneration, that they're going to go blind. And the first thing I think they all need to understand is although it's very devastating and very sight-threatening, you'll never go completely blind. You'll always have your peripheral vision. And we certainly want more than just peripheral vision, but so many times over the years I've learned that when patients are told they have macular degeneration, they're frankly scared to ask their ophthalmologist or optometrist, am I going to go completely blind? So I think that has to be said from the outset that that is not going to happen uh, relative to macular degeneration. The other thing is that, you know, this is a time in, in so many folks' life when they finally get a chance to slow down, they get a chance to retire and enjoy life, and they save their money and they've done the right thing throughout the years, and all of a sudden they get delivered this diagnosis. And the the good times they were hoping for and, you know, the, the excitement that goes along with that is, is, is muted. And a lot of the things that they were looking forward to doing all of a sudden are not going to be possible. So, you know, certainly it's very devastating vision-wise, but it has an impact on patients that goes well beyond vision. And it impacts just, you know, how they're going to be spending the rest of their life. Certainly it's home for, you know, a lot of people. My mother-in-law has macular degeneration. Unfortunately, she's still doing well. Uh, But, you know, we... We have to definitely recognize that these things can occur. Another point I think that has to be brought out is that there is so much more today available to patients who have macular degeneration than there was 5, 10, 15 years ago. The the most current treatment whereby a special medication is injected into the, the center of the eye that helps the effects of the macular degeneration in terms of its control you're not going to be able to reverse it. You're not going to be able to make it go away. But if you could control it, it it definitely helps maintain good visual function for the majority of people. That's very different than the way it was years ago where all you could do is have a laser treatment and actually in the beginning made your vision worse. 
and the whole purpose of it was to try to slow it down from worsening, uh, but patients still lost a lot of vision, and I'm talking 20, 30 years ago. And then more novel treatments began with light therapies, and then, of course, the, the most modern treatments, whereby the special medications are placed inside the eye, and fortunately today we have a number of those medications available to patients who have macular degeneration. Another thing that that I think patients need to understand is that um, you know there are other treatments that are out there. You mentioned low vision aids and things of that nature. I think the approach in this day and age with macular degeneration is keep the patient functional, keep the patient going, so that they could enjoy their life to the greatest possible extent. One of the things we we definitely want to talk about today <clears throat> as well are the uh, vitamins that we see advertised on television. We go to the pharmacy and there's just shelves upon shelves of all of these vitamins. Um, The the jury is out to an extent when it comes to those products. Certainly a number of studies have been done, and some studies contradicted others in the sense that one study would show there was a benefit from those medications, and other studies were showing that those, quote, I vitamins were not really useful are helpful unless the patient had modestly advanced macular degeneration. So the opinions are still a little bit fluid, but generally speaking, patients with moderate to advanced macular degeneration do seem to benefit from the use of those uh, vitamins. And again, it's it's all about slowing it down. You can't reverse it. Uh, You can't make it go away. But there seems to be some benefit. Caution, though, and you'll need to talk to your eye doctor or or even your internist, there are some risk factors to taking those medications. There is a potential for an increase in lung cancer in smokers who are taking those high-dose vitamins. So we tell our patients that they must be cleared before they go on to them. Please don't just run down to CVS or Walgreens. You know, put yourself on those without discussing your overall health and past medical history with your ophthalmologist or your internist uh, because of the potential risk for those that goes along with those vitamins. Also, patients ask, you know, is there anything else I could do proactively? And the answer is yes. The, the one thing we do feel pretty strongly about is that a diet that's very rich in green leafy vegetables has been shown to be beneficial with macular degeneration. Now, a green leafy vegetable is a kale, it's spinach, it's escarole, it's collard greens, it's mustard greens. So those are the things that, that really do help the most. And if patients come in, they'll say, well, I, I want to feel like I'm doing something. I'll say, you know, eat spinach three times a week, and you're definitely going to be doing something that, that's beneficial to you. So, you know, a lot of things are going on with macular degeneration. We're learning more and more. I do not, uh, as a clinician, see the devastation in terms of macular degeneration that we saw decades ago. When I first started practice in 87, it was a serious diagnosis, and there's not much you could do to help that patient out. Now we keep people going. They're, They're active. They're still driving. They're playing golf. And, and they're living with it. And, and I think that's the, a big message for the patients to understand these days, is that this is something that you could live with for the most part. You've got to, you know, play by the rules. You need to follow up with your ophthalmologist when it's important. Uh, a good, healthy lifestyle definitely is beneficial. And, and lastly, you know, if patients come in and they say, well, what's the one thing I could do to really 
make my eyes worse? And the answer is continue smoking. If you continue to smoke, you will absolutely turn the course of your macular degeneration to a very devastating disease. So whatever it takes, work with your internist, work with your ophthalmologist, get off those cigarettes because they are absolutely going to drive your vision down and you will not be able to fix it then. Excellent so points. Those are those are the things that I think come to mind, you know, when talking about macular degeneration. Well, okay, and one other thing that I that I always uh, preach on this program is get your meat off the seat and exercise regularly, in addition to avoiding the smoking. I think that it's important for lifestyle, and recent studies have shown that a sedentary lifestyle is actually more deleterious to your health than smoking. So, uh, but as far as uh, uh, macular degeneration. So we have avoiding smoking. Would you would you agree with me that ex- regular exercise is important and maintaining uh, normal pressure and cholesterol levels? Yes, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I, I think you know there are some folks who've really maintained an excellent lifestyle and unfortunately they get macular degeneration. But you know, in general, if you look at the folks who who do seem to be more subjected to it. There are folks who, way back in the day, um, you know, didn't have the healthiest of lifestyles. Um, you know, it was obviously much more fashionable in years gone by to, to smoke. Uh, people Correct. were not as conscientious about a cholesterol or triglycerides, uh, things of that nature. And, um, you know, the way we lived way back in the 40s and 50s now is beginning to haunt people. And because we're living longer and longer, uh, the incidence of seeing patients with macular degeneration seems to be going up, and it's simply because a lot of the decisions they made in terms of their lifestyle many years ago is now coming back to haunt them. Um, the one thing that I, I also, and I just you know brought up the point about cholesterol and triglycerides, there is some data out there that kind of implicates vitamin D levels uh, in terms of macular degeneration. I referenced my, my mother-in-law who has a moderate case, worse in one eye than the other. And um, when I saw those studies related to vitamin D, we assayed her levels, and she was grossly low on vitamin D. So that would be another thing that I would be discussing with your internist, asking them to assess your vitamin D levels whenever you're in for routine blood work. Uh, Sort of, you know, doing the right thing to make your body as healthy as possible, and in turn, that's going to help your vision. Now, listeners to uh, Rejuvenation's Health Radio here on Time with Dr. Ron know, and we preach about vitamin D almost every week, and we do not accept the normal values uh, on the blood work of 30. We uh, advise our listeners to talk with their healthcare professional, and it should be between 50 and 70 to, have, to obtain the maximal benefit of this incredible vitamin. And uh, so... Uh, I definitely agree. Vitamin D is super, super important. And ladies and gentlemen, next week we'll talk about uh, how I feel some dermatologists owe us an apology about keeping us out of the sun and causing us to be vitamin D deficient. Be that as it may, Dr. Vascucci, maybe uh, as far as diagnosing it, uh, I've, you know, I you have the grid, uh, what's it, Amsler grid, you have fluorescein angiograms. Is this the ty- typical things that are done to diagnose the condition? Yes, in terms of the actual diagnosis, you could suspect it based on the symptoms the patient comes in with, and certainly the examination um, will you know, confirm the presence of. 
there are a number of very uh, elegant uh, testing devices now that really help uh, us follow uh, the, the stage of macular degeneration. You referenced fluorescein angiogram. The fluorescein is essentially an extract of red beets, and it's in a liquid formulation, and intravenous is started in your ophthalmologist's office. And uh, the uh, fluorescein is injected into your vein, and about 20 seconds later, it's already it's circulating through your eye. And then special photographs are taken, which show, you know, to the degree of the macular degeneration, whether it is a dry type or a wet type. Uh, the wet is the <clears throat> most sight-threatening. So if you're going to have macular degeneration, not to say we would want to, but uh, the dry type is definitely where you want that to, to remain. And then there, of course, there's other tests that can be performed. Um, you referenced the Amsler grid. And Amsler grid is a way that patients could test themselves at home. For all intents and purposes, it's a piece of graph paper that we used to, for example, you know, use when we were in grade school with, you know, special types of graphs and this and that. And the graph paper is um, essentially a way that when testing one eye at a time, you could follow your uh, macular degeneration staging at home. What I mean by that is, you know, uh, you sit down one day at home, you look at the, the graph paper one eye at a time, uh, and you look at it and see, are the lines straight or are they curved? Uh, are there boxes on the graph paper missing or are they all present? And if you see a change over time, and, and over time generally is essentially defined as maybe over a week to 10 days, then you have to notify your eye care professional very quickly because that could mean that the macular degeneration is advancing. It could mean that it's going from a dry type to a wet type, and that needs to be kind of uh, looked into very quickly. So, again, patients want to be proactive. They want to do all they can. And, of course, sitting home, they worry that, you know, if no one's looking in there, how do we know if this thing is worsening or not? And it's a very simple thing to do three, four times a week and to do it in a long-term way and really will be able to, uh, I think, feel assured that you're monitoring things very carefully. Right. That's some good practical advice, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for your own uh, information and for those uh, that uh, your friends that may have missed this show, all these shows are archived at uh, blogtalkradio.com. Just put just search for Dr. Ron and look for Dr. Pascucci and macular degeneration, and you will be able to hear this show at your convenience or in a podcast, whatever your pleasure. But everything is uh, archived, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Pascucci, do you think it's, um, would it be important uh, for our, the listeners to know that there's different stages, or is this just uh, get it diagnosed and work with your, uh, your eye care professional? Well, yes, the, the stages essentially, I think, to look upon them from a common sense, very simplistic approach is that you've got the dry and you've got the wet, and you've got to do all you can to try to keep the dry from going to wet. Now, sometimes that just is going to happen. <clears throat> the way to effectively treat that if you do make that transition is get in and get your examination performed because with the injection of those special medicines, you can really convert a wet right back to a dry. Several times, the injections must be repeated on an every month, every six-week basis until a control of the disease process can be had, <clears throat> and you then you do convert back to the dry. But the, the best thing that any patient could do for themselves is to 
know, face the reality that there are some changes there. Do not be afraid of that. And just promptly contact your, your eye care professional and make sure that, that, that you get in, you know, very quickly. Also, you know, if, even if things are doing very well, you want to maintain a once-a-year eye exam. Um, and then we talked about the AMSA grids already. The mistake I think people make is that, you know, they're all very excited about doing it and self-monitoring at home, and they do it for about a month, and all of a sudden then it, it gets dropped because nothing is changing. And, and that's what you want. You don't want things to be changing. So there isn't necessarily a point where you could say, okay, I've looked at this for a month or two and nothing's nothing's changing, and so as a result, it's not necessary. I continue doing it, and, and that's wrong. It is very necessary that you continue to do it. Yeah, that's a great takeaway message for today. Uh, I'm going to ask you just a, qu- a question that I don't know about. I heard about this Charles Bonnet syndrome of visual hallucinations. Are you familiar with it, or uh, do? Not- Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I am not, but I just heard about it today from uh, another colleague. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to tell you, I am not familiar with it as well. Um, okay. I, uh, we, there's a lot of very unusual things that are out there. I saw just a quick story, a person uh, recently who, you know, had some facial changes as she was growing up that never really got understood, and she then went ahead and uh, had cataract surgery because she was losing vision, and all of a sudden her cornea changed, and she developed a really poor blurred vision, and everybody was scratching their head. And uh, it's funny how coincidentally things occur. I had a, a staff member ask me about a skin condition she had, and when I went to the Internet to look a bit more about it, all of a sudden I saw a picture of my, of my patient who I had seen an hour earlier with the changes to her cornea, and she, uh, we were able to diagnose an extremely rare condition. And uh, so I, I can't help you much about no. Charles Bonnet syndrome, uh, but it was uh, just, it, a, yeah, yeah, just right. a, a visual hallucination syndrome that he told me about. That happens, he, he said, when people with impaired vision. Uh, but you know, it's not that common. I just just thought I throw it in there. Dr. Pescucci, let me ask uh, Dr. Dan, uh, who, uh, who who's a frequent listener to the show. Dr. Dan, are you are you there? And do you have any questions for Dr. Pescucci? I am here, Ron. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Good. And the other two doctors, how are you? Well, Dr. Doing very Smith. well, thank you. Thank Dr. you. Smith. You're you're very very uh, uh, interesting and uh, informative, and I'm learning a lot from you. Yeah, I, I have uh, myasthenia gravis. I was diagnosed a couple of years ago, and I wondered, uh, Dr. Pascucci and uh, Dr. Jerry Smith, if you had any ideas. My basic problem is I have the ocular uh, version. And um, uh, I was uh, on 20 milligrams of prednisone, down to 15 to 10, and I went to 5, and then my diplopia uh, returned. And I went back up to 20, down to 15, for two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. I'm now back to 10, and I'm basically, basically back to normal vision with a little diplopia when I look to the left. Do you have any special uh, recommendations for me or anyone else with this condition? Uh, well, go ahead. I, I'm going to let Dr. Pascucci uh, handle this, but uh, as you know, uh, uh, as I have known, that you have to be, when if you have a myasthenic gravis, an ocular version, you have to be uh, concerned about systemic uh, myasthenia gravis. As far as the eye is concerned by itself, 
I'll let Dr. Pescucci uh, handle that. Okay. Sure. Um, you, you know, just for the, the audience, um, you know, myasthenia gravis is, is a condition that would fall into the, uh, the realm of neuromuscular disorders. So, in other words, it's a neurological and it's a muscular condition. And essentially, with myasthenia gravis, what happens is as the uh, impulse comes down a nerve, say, to contract a muscle, whether it's a muscle of your eye or your arm or leg, uh, a chemical is released at the end of that nerve, and it's supposed to tell the muscle exactly what to do. Well, the chemical is still released, but the, the receptor on the muscle, the receiving dock, if you will, is, is blocked, and the muscle just doesn't pay attention to, to that chemical a command, if you will, from the nerve, and, and it could manifest in a, in a number of ways, primarily with some sort of muscle weakness. When it comes to eye conditions, it'll manifest either as a droopy eyelid or uh, poor eye muscle movement, which manifests as double vision. Um, so, you know, it's something that we have to think about when we see patients who have neurologic and muscular conditions of the eye. Now, there are other types of conditions, for example, diabetes, that could also pre present in the same way when some, some diabetics will present with double vision and or a droopy eyelid. So you kind of have to work through your list of potential causes of the double vision of the droopy eyelid, and part of your workup in addition to diabetes would include working the patient up for myasthenia. Sometimes the myasthenia will only affect the eyes, and sometimes it's a somewhat difficult diagnosis to make uh, because all the testing is pointing in the direction that this is not myasthenia, uh, and, and therefore, even though you think as a uh, physician that it is, you have to sometimes go to very extensive testing with, like, um, muscle stimulation tests and things of that nature. The long story short, uh, I, and Dr. Peace, you, you brought this up, you have to make sure that there is no systemic or general bodily involvement because that may influence how you're treated. Uh, it may influence, you know, your um, ability to come off, for example, if you're put under general anesthesia, for you to begin to return to breathing on your own and things of that nature. So it has to be looked into. Fortunately, most patients with myasthenia do very well. Um, you brought up the um, the issue of taking steroids uh, orally, and yes, right. it's not uncommon to notice a little bit of a rebound as you're tapering steroids, so you kind of have to find that happy medium, knowing that you don't want to take too much of oral steroids, but at the same time, you have to make sure that, you know, your eye muscular function is very normal. And it's a, it's a somewhat common condition. It's it's not a sight threatening condition ever, but it's one that you learn to live with uh, because the the medications you receive by mouth uh, are very helpful. In terms of diagnosis, you know the physician certainly will suspect it. If you are presenting to their office with double vision or droopy eyelids, um, and then testing is usually started by way of blood test. Uh, there's an, other ways of testing. For example, you would inject into a patient who you suspected had myasthenia a special medication, and for a brief period, usually it's only minutes, the double vision or the droopy eyelid immediately gets better, right right before your, your eyes there, no pun intended. And then mm -hmm. after a period of a few minutes, uh, the patient goes back to a droopy eyelid and double vision. But that confirms the diagnosis for the vast majority of people, and, you know, uh, 
oral medication uh, usually does the trick. Yes, I, uh, well. I have been I have been on pyridostigmine, mestinone also. Yeah, mestinone. I was going to ask you about mestinone. And yeah, that's another uh, oral medication. Yes, I'm sorry. Can I? No, excuse me. I was on three, then I was tapered to two and one. I'm back on two now, mm-hmm. uh, two, 260 milligrams a day. And uh, it seems to be helping also. And I've been – it has not gone systemic so far, thank God. Mm-hmm. And yeah. – uh, um, I've been I've been worked up, and I even went to an endocrinologist, and I've had all my hormones checked, and and, and everything looks pretty good, uh, as far as that goes. And I did get the ptosis, the droopy eyelid, and uh, when I got on the methadone, and then eventually the prednisone, that disappeared. Yes, that usually resolves very quickly, but um, I, again, important for you know the the listeners to understand that, that this is under most circumstances, not a, you know, a serious condition, but it's certainly one that you have to, you know, remain very diligent with and uh, keep up after. And generally speaking, other than the waxing and waning, which can occur, patients do generally very well with that. And then you have to watch the medications you take and the anesthesia and so forth, I guess. Even when you go to the dentist, they say lidocaine is a problem (laughs) for injections, so. Well, that. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank thank goodness it's not a, a common uh, diagnosis uh, that, that I have seen in my 50 years in practice. Uh, but if it is diagnosed, uh, as Dr. Pescucci said, it's not life-threatening and you can get through it. And, uh, you know, you have to keep a good positive outlook about this and get the best available care that you can. Um, the only thing we didn't talk about was diet. I mean, we talked about eating green vegetables. Dr. Pescucci, have you ever heard about the ketogenic diet as it, re- as it regar- uh, refers to uh, uh, eye disease and in particular de- macular degeneration? You know, it's interesting that we, I don't think, understand um, the importance of a good diet just in terms of general health and, and other specific things, for example, just, you know, for what's beneficial for our, our eyes and our eyesight. I, I remember in medical school that the amount of time spent on nutrition and things of that nature uh, were were minimal. And we're always taught to go ahead and, you know, treat diseases, diagnose diseases, make patients better. But uh, we we don't really understand, I think, the the benefits of good nutrition. Um, There are a million diets out there. There are a million approaches. One is supposed to, you know, help this, that, and the other thing. And unfortunately, I just don't think that these things get the amount of time uh, and effort and research that, you know, we we need for them to. Certainly we understand the effect of gluten and carbohydrates and whatnot on our diet and our, you know, neurological function and this and that. But it seems like we kind of just move from one thing to the other. You know, one day gluten's bad for you, and then the next day gluten's good for you, and then back again. And, you know, it's pretty common now. I think we all see we walk in a restaurant that we have so many gluten-free options given to us. And I think, you know, in terms of other types of diet, whether they're low in fat or high in fat and this, that, and the other thing, um, I think you know, we, we don't understand them. We don't understand them to the extent we, we should and could in terms of what's best for our eyes or what's best for our bodies. It would be nice to see more research done in that regard, uh, but um, unfortunately I don't think it's getting the, the time it deserves to, to really benefit us. You know, we're taught years ago a good balanced diet is very, very 
diet that's very low with glycemic index and things of that nature is very good. But um, to have that level of knowledge in a way uh, that, that mirrors our level of knowledge in terms of diagnosing of diseases and treating them is, I, don't, I think it's lacking at this point. Yeah, and we had guests on the program, Dr. Pascucci, uh, you know, that, that talk about eating more naturally and eating the Mediterranean diet that's been around for thousands of years and has actually been studied quite a lot and avoiding all the uh, packaged food, uh, eating, you know, shopping around the, the Winn-Dixie and the public shop around the outside of the uh, supermarket, not going up and down the aisles where you get all the uh, – preservatives and artificial this and artificial that and our one of our mantras on uh, this radio program is if you can't pronounce it don't eat it so uh diet diet is, is important there, there's a book um uh, that's called stop vision loss now prevent and heal cataracts glaucoma and macular degeneration by dr fife fife i just read a summary of that book recently and i think it uh if, you, if our listeners want to look at it i think you'll you might gain some information about diet and uh, and be as positive as Dr. Pascucci is about if you uh, your eye conditions. So, Dr. Pascucci, I, I just I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on the program today. Uh, you know, doc, Dr. Dan is a is a listener and a good friend of mine, and uh, he's a, he's my toughest critic. And if he uh, he got something out of this, this is this is pretty good. So, uh, Dr. Steve Pascucci, uh, I. Consultants, uh, 949-2021, area code 239-949-2021, Dr. Stephen Pascucci. Steve, any closing uh, remarks for our uh, listeners? We, we, we have time left. Well, first and foremost, I just want to thank you again for the invitation. It was it was actually a, a privilege, and hopefully we've brought some things out to to the listeners out there just in terms of macular degeneration don't don't fear it. it. It is not the thing that it was decades ago. Has to be dealt with in a realistic way. There are treatments that are out there, and the whole name of the game is like anything else, which which your health. Take care of your body. Be good to it, and uh, you know understand and appreciate what's really out there in terms of treatments, and pursue those treatments to maintain a good quality of life. Well, that's excellent. Well, thank you so much. I hope some uh, maybe during the off season we can. Uh, pick a topic and discuss it, and I can have a producer here so we can take phone uh, calls other than Dr. Dan. Uh, but again, thank you so much, and I appreciate it. And we will uh, continue to talk about your uh, center on the show as weeks go by. Thank you, Dr. Pascucci. My pleasure, and I wish everyone a good evening. Thank you. I just want to uh, end up the show today about coffee. As, uh, you know, as you know, it is not exactly a nightcap. But it, uh, it's not the only thing that can keep you tossing and turning when you should be snoozing. Take chocolate, for example. While it's actually good for you, being loaded with lots of antioxidants, of course, the dark kind is the best. It's also a source of caffeine as well as the stimulant theobromine. So instead of sweet dreams, you may be lying awake thinking about things you need to do tomorrow. Carob, C-A-R-O-B, on the other hand, is a great chocolate substitute that comes complete with its own antioxidants, but without all that caffeine. Now, what do you hear another food stimulant? It's tomato. Tomatoes contain an amino acid called tyramine that can cause your brain to go into overdrive. You want to hear some other ones? Eggplant? 
red wine, aged cheeses, they also contain tyramine. So that glass of red wine before bed might not be such a good idea after all. Huh? And sometimes it's just not what we eat right before going to bed that messes up our sleep. It's other foods. For example, broccoli takes longer to digest, as do steak, roast beef, fried foods, and high-fat foods. So we want to have them, ladies and gentlemen, three to four hours before bedtime. This way, if you're having a hard time sleeping, you maybe you can figure out why. And what are some good choices at night if you're hungry? What are some good snacks? Well, I can recommend cherries. You know what they have? They're a natural source of melatonin. All right, melatonin helps you go to dreamland more efficiently. Cottage cheese. You know, that's a good swap for a sweet bedtime snack. A bowl of cottage cheese may also help you prevent, where do you get this? Nighttime acid reflux. And the old standby, Edgar Casey almonds, to get a good dose of sleep, helping amino acid tryptophan. Go for a hand of, of almonds before bedtime. The nut also contains magnesium, which may be helpful if you suffer leg cramps at night. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we covered a lot of material today. Thank you so much for uh, listening to uh, Dr. Ron on Block Talk Radio. Remember, all our shows are archived. Uh, if you need to leave a message for me or have uh, good or bad comments, you can uh, write to Doc, D-O-C, Ron Radio, Doc Ron Radio at gmail.com, Doc Ron Radio at gmail.com. So with a gra- attitude of gratitude and remembering that a bad attitude is like a flat tire, you can't go anywhere until you change it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we will see you next week. Dr. Ron and Dr. Ron have left the building. Thank you for listening to Rejuvenation Health Radio here on Lock Radio. See you next week. Ciao.